0: You know I'm a movie buff, and I not only like going to the movies, I like reading about things like who wrote the script and where the inspiration for the movie came and how they put the cast together and how the director saw this scene and that scene happening. And when you do that, you find out some interesting things. Like um, Al Pacino played the, the iconic role of Michael Corleone. Do you know who was thought of first? To be in that role? Jack Nicholson. Now, you think about that. Think about what Al Pacino did with that role. It is one of the classic roles in all of movies. And then put Jack Nicholson there. Mm, doesn't work, does it? Oh, that's just one of few. Uh, Sandra Bullock played uh, Leanne, in the, the mother of, of Michael Oberg, in Blindside. Guess what? She wasn't the first one asked. Julia Roberts was. Yeah, I know, doesn't work. Oh, here, here, here's the coup de gras. You ready for this one? Forrest Gump. Who could play Forrest Gump but Tom Hanks? Do you know who they first had in mind for that? You'll never guess. John Travolta. Now, can you see Bubba Gump Shrimp being spoken? with a Brooklyn accent, me either. That's why casting the movie is one of the most important things that happens. You have to have not only the right actor and the right actress, you have to have the right chemistry, the right ensemble, so that the story is told and told well because the right people are in the right place. You've always heard us talk about this great story that God is telling, the story of redemption and salvation that starts with creation and ends with Christ's return. You know you're part of that story. You're in it. And you're being cast in this story is one of the most important things that can ever happen in your life. Oh, it's been that way the whole time. Uh, let's pick up a story in Acts 13. Now, you have heard this passage before, and we always laugh that this passage or the, or the is the theme passage for Brentwood Baptist Church. It's the, part, it's the passage that we read and then celebrate that we want to be the church that runs members off. Ah, but there's so much more in this passage. Let's read it together. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mania, and a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. After they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, They sent them off. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. In the critical moments of your story, you have found just the right person to be part of that story. Now, This story has flowed across the generations, across the centuries, across the continents, and now has come to us. And it's our time to be cast, to play our role in this great story that ends with your son's triumphant return. We play in this moment of history that we will play our roles well. To your glory, and we pray this in your name, Amen. I don't know if you understand this or not, but this is a critical moment in the Book of Acts. There is a lot going on, uh, as you know. In uh, second chapter of Acts, believers are upstairs. The Holy Spirit falls. We have Pentecost. We have a great revival. Thousands of people respond to the gospel being preached that day in Jerusalem, and the church is born. And the church has to go through a lot of growing pains like, well, how do we actually do pastoral care for all of these people? And so in Acts chapter 6, you have the calling of the deacons. Chapter 7 and 8, you have the ministry of Stephen and we have the first martyr. Chapter 9, you have the ministry of Philip and him reaching the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, things are beginning to get out of Jerusalem. There is a persecution of the church, and believers begin to scatter. And wherever they scatter, they start a church. And one of the places they scattered was to Antioch. And a revival broke out in Antioch so much that it got back to Jerusalem that God is doing some amazing things in Antioch. So they send Barnabas to check it out. Barnabas sees the church and is overwhelmed by what he sees And he sees that God is doing something, and he sees what these people need is an effective teacher, someone who is deeply schooled in the Scriptures, theologically trained, and he knows just the guy, Saul. Now, you remember Saul's been converted in chapter 9, but nobody could figure out what to do with Saul. So Saul goes back home to Tarsus. Barnabas knew this. And so Barnabas leaves Antioch and goes to Tarsus, and he gets Paul, the very first pulpit committee, one guy. <laughs> and he goes and convinces Saul to come back to Antioch. And Barnabas and Saul are the leaders, one of uh, five leaders of that early church. Now, you would think what we would read in the next story would be baptisms among baptisms among baptisms at Antioch. It's not. What we see is God pulling off two of the strongest leaders in the Antioch church and sending them to the mission field. I have prepared Barnabas and Saul for this mission. Now set them apart. I've got work for them to do. What was that mission? It was the mission to the Gentiles. What Paul said had been hidden from the beginning of time that was now being revealed, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that the message of salvation wasn't just for the Jews, it was for everybody. And through the miraculous ministry, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of us, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, and free, All of us could become children of Abraham. Now that door was opening for the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas would start that next stage of the ministry. And you ask yourself, okay, there's five leaders named. God calls out two. Why? Well, think about it. We have Barnabas. This is one of the most trusted leaders of the Jerusalem church so much so that they gave him the nickname Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't his name. They called him son of encouragement because he always made people feel stronger. It's not that he made you feel better, that he gave you a good laugh. That's not what encouragement means. Encouragement is that, is that friend that can come by you and stand next to you in the toughest moment of your life, And just by standing there, let you know that you're going to make it. That was Barnabas. You would want him on this trip where you were starting new churches and going into some of the hardest places that Paul would ever do work. And, of course, you had Paul, someone by his own admission, who had been trained in the Scriptures all his life. And after his conversion, he spent three years in the Arabian desert trying to understand what he knew in the prophecies of the Old Testament that allowed him to understand who Jesus Christ is. When you read Paul's letters, they're filled with quotes from the Old Testament. They they have references that say, listen, this is to fulfill the Scripture. This is why this was said. This is how we know that Jesus Christ is who he said he was because he fulfills this passage. Who else would you want other than Saul who would become Paul? You see, whether or not Barnabas understood it, God had been working in his life, in his ministry in the church in Jerusalem, in his leadership in the church in Antioch, to prepare him now to be the missionary that would leave. Whether Paul understood it or not, he was being prepared moment by moment, day by day, to be the missionary that God would send to break the good news to the Gentiles of the world. Here is this moment where it goes from the Jewish church to the Gentile world. This critical moment in the life of the New Testament church. The critical moment in our faith. And in this great story that Jesus is telling, he picks Barnabas and Saul. Now, what is it that we know about that? Isn't it interesting that he picked two leaders of a local church? Now, you know me, I'm a pastor of a church. I love the local church. I think it all happens in a local church. So does Jesus. That's why his first missionaries are leaders of a local church. Listen, there are things you learn in a local church you don't learn anywhere else. Now, you think about it. We open the door, and we welcome anybody who walks in. We don't charge admission. They don't have to meet any kind of requirements. They just walk in. And if Jesus brings them into our family and says, this is someone that I have saved, we say to him, welcome, brother. We say to her, welcome, sister. And we bring them into our family. No questions asked. And you know and I know Jesus can save some Lulu's, can't he? He can bring some of the most interesting, People into your life and make them family. Because by being introduced some, to somebody who is different than you, you understand something about God that you wouldn't have understood by yourself. Why? Because everybody is filled with the Imago Dei. Everybody bears the image of God. And because you cannot hold the ocean in a thimble, all of us hold all of God that we can stand. But we never hold all of Him. So when I am with you and we are doing the journey following Christ together, I'm learning something from you about God I have no way of knowing because I don't have the capacity to hold the truth that you have. The diversity of God is celebrated in the diversity of His people. You learn to get along with people you don't like. You know, I tell you all the time that my dad took me to the hospital when my brother was born. I can remember my father holding me and pointing me to the nursery where my brother was. There was a bunch of babies. I thought I was going to get to pick one. He didn't let me pick. He pointed to one, that's your brother. And we took him home, and he never left. I didn't have a choice. My father said, that's your brother. I know, look down the pew. Look behind you, look in front of you. You don't have a choice. The Father says, that's your brother. That's your sister. And it is in this miraculous ability to love each other, to love people different from us, that people begin to see the gospel and wonder if there's a chance, they can be loved like this. Everything in your life has now prepared you to play your role in this great story that God is telling. Now, you want to pull me aside and go, listen, you don't know me, dude. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my life. You don't know the people I've wrecked. And I'm going to say to you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why? Because you're not telling the story. God is. And the story is not about you. It's not about me. It's about how great our God is. It's his story. I tell you this all the time in Romans 8 where we celebrate that famous passage where it says, everything is working together for those who love Christ. It doesn't mean everything's working out. It doesn't mean you always get a parking place near the front door. That's not what that verse means. Here's what it means. Our God is so good, so strong, so loving. He can take whatever mess your life is and do something wonderful with it. Uh, Like a chef in the kitchen. He can take whatever you throw in that bowl whatever somebody else throws in your bowl. You know, everything that happens to you is not your fault. (laughs) Sometimes people mess your life up. Whatever happens to you, whatever you do, good and bad, you throw it in this big bowl we call your life, and our God is such a great, powerful, loving, creative chef. He can make a seven-course dinner from your scraps. It's not about you it's about the goodness of our savior it's about the power of our savior it's about the story he has told and now in this moment of pandemic in this moment of confusion and frustration this moment he's still telling his story this moment did not catch Jesus off guard Some of you pull me aside and say, listen, man, I haven't prayed in a long time. And I'll say, why? I'm just so scared that that when I tell him, he's going to be upset. And I'll remind you, you do know he knows. You're not going to, in your prayer life, tell Jesus something he doesn't know. You're not going to say, dear Lord, I'm sorry about what I did today. And then hear Jesus say, ooh, when did that happen? I missed it. He already knows. This didn't catch Jesus off guard. He's not scrambling, reacting to all that's going on. He's telling a story. And what a story it is. And he wants you to be part of it. So will you accept the role? You know, when you read the stories of great actors and actresses, a lot of them will have a paragraph or two about roles they turned down, about the parts they could have had, and they didn't. So when we look back on this moment, it's just going to be the moment when you heard Jesus telling you his story and you recognized I'm in this story and you took your part? Or are you going to turn it down and have to live with what might have been? Paul and Barnabas were pit to be part of this great story that our God is, was telling and is telling now. And this morning, right now, he's picking you. Let's pray together. What a story. Of all the people we read and all the parts they played, it is almost impossible for us to believe that you're still telling this great story and you want us to be part of it. How grateful we are you stopped in this moment to ask. So here we are. We're all in. Do whatever you have to do now in our life so that your story is told and told and told until we all celebrate it at your throne. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God is indeed telling his, his great story, and you're part of it. We'd love for you to find your place. If you'd like to know more, would you just simply text CONNECT to 623-623. That's CONNECT to 623-623. And we'll be in touch with you as soon as we can. Thank you for listening. God bless.